Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. I'm guessing that by now most of you have heard of the exploits of Chris Nickich at the recent Ironman Florida. Chris is a 21-year-old with Down syndrome who trained for and completed the race, becoming an instant sensation as the first ever person with Downs to do this. Now, personally, as I watched all of the furor leading up to and then following Chris's race, I felt a certain disquiet. And at first, I wasn't completely sure why that was, but as I reflected upon it, I realized that it was a direct result of my conversations with physically challenged athletes who I have interviewed on this podcast in the past. At the time, I remember making comments very similar to what I was seeing being made about Chris and learned that such comments, as well-meaning as they are, are actually not appreciated. I reached out to those two women and asked them what they thought about all of the fuss being made about Chris Nickich, and I thought their responses were really illuminating and worth considering by all of us able-bodied athletes. One, who is a wheelchair athlete, told me that she saw the whole episode as, quote, inspiration porn for able-bodied athletes, end quote. A friend of hers went further, basically calling out people who are inspired by Chris Nickich when he just wanted to complete a goal like everyone else. He's broken down barriers, which is good, but wouldn't it be nice to just not be amazed by what disabled people can achieve because it was just accepted as more mainstream? Another woman, and also previous guest on this podcast, who has a degenerative neuromuscular disorder, echoed these sentiments. She said, I find myself wishing non-PC athletes could perhaps be a little more aware of the fact that they typically race alongside other athletes who are PC without even realizing it. Sure, there are huge challenges thrown in Chris's way, but we learn to adapt, and so while our accomplishment may have come with a little more pain, suffering, and difficulty, we are athletes just like everyone else. Now, I say all of this not to diminish or take away from Chris's accomplishment in any way. Rather, I think this is an opportunity to look in the mirror for all of us and question why we get so wrapped up in the kind of inspiration narrative whenever someone with a disability takes on something that all of us able-bodied athletes struggle to do as well. Are we really helping those athletes or are we making ourselves feel better? I submit this as food for thought and nothing else. And if you're interested in a really good take on Chris's exploits, something that sees him as an athlete and not somebody who just did this because he has Down syndrome, I refer you to the excellent article that came out in the New York Times a little bit earlier this week. Uh, It's very enjoyable and definitely approved by the physically challenged athletes that I mentioned in this piece. On the show today, Mario Mejia is right this moment preparing for his first Ironman race on the island of Cozumel in Mexico this weekend. Mario's story of how he came to triathlon and how he will be getting to that start line is really a great one, and one, when I read it, that I was eager to share with all of you. I'm really glad that I was able to get him to make an interview part of his taper, and I'm going to have that for you a little later on in the podcast. First, though, as always, I have a medical question to answer. Andrew Patterson maintains an excellent blog and regular email service called Iron Man Hacks. Each week, he has interviews and product reviews, and recently, we even began collaborating to keep all of the reviews that I have done on this show categorized with episode links on his Iron Man Hacks website. I'll post the link to his site where you can sign up for his weekly email in the show notes. Well, a few weeks ago, Andrew emailed me to ask about a product that he had seen advertised. It's a handheld device called the Lumen, and supposedly, it offers a way to get insight into your metabolism. Well, he wanted to know if it does the things that its makers claim, and if it's worth the lofty price tag. 
Well, I take a look, and that's going to be coming up in a few moments. But before that, I just want to take a moment once again to remind you all of my Patreon program for listeners who enjoy this podcast and would like to get even more out of it in return for providing some support. The page is live at patreon.com forward slash Podcast, and there are multiple levels of support, each with its own tier of thank you, from call-outs on the show to bonus episodes and live Q&A sessions with me. TriDoc interns choose to support at $3 per month, TriDoc residents support the show at just a slightly higher rate of $5 per month, and TriDoc fellows really show their love for the podcast by supporting the show to the tune of $10 per month. Whatever you might be able to do, all my Patreon subscribers will have my undying gratitude, and I hope that if you enjoy this podcast and find it of value to you, that you'll consider becoming a supporter at whatever level makes sense for you. The first decade of 2020 is almost over, and I think I'm not alone in breathing a huge sigh of relief at that thought. Although there hasn't been a whole lot to laugh about this year, I found myself thinking many times how much I felt like Lloyd Bridges' character in the movie Airplane. Now, if you have not seen the movie Airplane because you're too young and haven't heard of it, please stop the podcast now and go watch it. You can thank me later. But for those of you who have seen it, you may know what I'm talking about. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. Like I took the wrong week to quit drinking. I can't take much more of this. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. Like Steve McCroskey in that clip, I too wonder if this wasn't the wrong year to have decided to do so many things. Like, for example, gone on a diet. Well, many, many others have felt the same way. And so several different products have hit the market aiming to helping athletes improve their diet and metabolism. And one of those is the subject of today's medical question. Andrew Patterson, the man behind the Ironman Hacks blog, wrote to me to ask about the Lumen Portable Metabolic Analyzer and whether or not there was anything to its maker's claims that could help users, quote, hack their metabolism, end quote. Well, I spent some time looking into this device and had some back and forth with the team that developed it, and I feel as though I can give you some sense of what the Lumen is, how it works, and what it is purported to be good for. But in the end, I'm not going to be able to say much about whether or not it's worth the $350, although in the absence of real compelling evidence, I would personally be hard-pressed to purchase one. Before I talk too much about the device, though, let's first talk briefly about the science that it is leveraging in order to be able to tell you anything about your metabolism. Now, metabolism within our cells is quite simply the burning of fuels utilizing oxygen through various enzymatic processes. Energy that's liberated in the breaking of bonds in carbohydrates, fats, or proteins is then used to make new high-energy bonds in adenosine triphosphate, or ATP. ATP is then used for all of the energy-requiring processes like muscle contraction. In the burning of fuels, carbon dioxide is produced. So you can see that the respiratory system is integral to our metabolism. This is because our lungs are needed to bring oxygen in in order to burn the fuels in the first place and then to allow us to ventilate out the carbon dioxide that is produced as a waste product in the normal cellular processes. Now, the ratio of how much oxygen is burned to how much carbon dioxide is produced is fairly predictable depending on what fuel is being burned at the time. So if you can measure these very precisely, then you could determine what a person's primary sources of energy are. 
Now, in the hospital, we actually do this regularly, although usually in the intensive care unit where we need to know this to a very precise amount. Those patients have very specific metabolic needs because of their degree of illness. So in order to make sure that they are receiving the appropriate mix of nutrients, we do a test called a metabolic cart. The patient is placed in a sealed helmet that carefully measures the exact amounts of oxygen that is used and the amount of carbon dioxide that is produced in order to provide what is called a respiratory quotient that can then be used to guide the team dietitian in order to provide the exact amount of nutrients in terms of carbohydrate, fats, and protein that will match what the patient is doing in terms of metabolics. Now, the folks at Lumen have tweaked this process and developed a device that measures exhaled carbon dioxide in order to come up with similar information. The way it works is you take a deep breath, you hold it for 10 seconds, and then you exhale through the device. The device then displays a number that indicates whether or not you are metabolizing principally carbohydrates, fats, or a mix of both at that moment. Now, when I learned of this device and started to read a little bit about it, I had several questions, and it took a little doing for me to get to the right people, but eventually I did get responses from the Lumen Science folks. First and foremost, I wanted to know whether or not the device is accurate. Lumen has some data on its website that seems to show what it is doing and seems to show that it is accurate, but nothing has been published in the scientific literature to date. They do have one study that is in ongoing peer review, and they helpfully pointed me to that. The results of that study essentially show that the lumen picks up an increase in exhaled carbon dioxide after ingestion of carbohydrates, similar to what a metabolic cart would see. But it didn't provide any data as to how precise the results were, nor whether or not the device can show results similar to a metabolic cart in either the fasted state or in states where what the person had eaten was unknown. The second question that I posed to Lumen was how they could understand metabolism knowing only half of the equation. As you'll recall, the respiratory quotient to determine metabolism requires knowing both oxygen and carbon dioxide. Without knowing the amount of oxygen being consumed, then how would the amount of carbon dioxide produced in isolation be helpful? Well, the Lumen folks replied that they assume carbon, excuse me, they assume oxygen consumption is stable and predictable when people are at rest. And so just knowing the carbon dioxide should be sufficient to make determinations about metabolic substrate. Now, personally, I take some issue with this. If this was true, then this kind of device and methodology would be in widespread use in hospitals and, quite frankly, all over the place. But it isn't. I always worry when important calculations and determinations are made using these kinds of assumptions, so I have some serious doubts about the face validity of the lumen right off the bat. Still, the premise is not completely to be discounted, I just think it's going to be a lot less accurate than lumen would have you believe. A third question I had dealt with other physiologic conditions that can impact the lung's handling of carbon dioxide. For example, people with asthma or people who smoke have much less predictable exhaled carbon dioxide, depending on what's going on in their lungs at any given moment, than does a healthy individual. And Lumen agrees with this assertion and responded to me that their device is really only intended for healthy people without any known lung problems. So asthmatics, even mild asthmatics, are not going to be able to avail themselves of this device because of the uncertainty in how their lungs will process carbon dioxide on a moment-to-moment basis. But the biggest question I had is what is a user supposed to do with the information that the Lumen provides, assuming that the information is actually accurate? 
Now, Lumen advertises as a device that allows you to hack your metabolism, but I'm unclear on what this actually means. Now, according to the folks that I communicated with, they told me that, quote, the goal is to pursue metabolic flexibility or your body's ability to switch effectively between carbohydrate and fat burning. Metabolic flexibility is the ability of the human body to switch back and forth between fat and carbohydrates as a source of energy based on their availability, end quote. Now, to be sure, there is some observational data out there that suggests that this kind of metabolic flexibility is a good thing and translates into less disease and a longer lifespan. But what isn't clear to me is how using the lumen is going to allow an individual user to do this. So here's what they told me. Eating different foods forces your cells to use different fuels. Intermittent fasting can increase metabolic dependency on fats, and training while in carbohydrate-depleted state can increase your utilization of fat as a fuel. Okay, well, none of that is revolutionary or particularly novel, but the question remains the same. How does using the Lumen actually let you do any of this? Well, per the Lumen folks, knowing what your body is burning allows you to change your diet to force it to use a different fuel. Again, okay, This sounds like a solution in search of a new problem to me. We already know how to make our bodies make use of alternative fuels, and as I have discussed on this podcast before, that may or may not be of any importance to performance in a triathlon or any other kind of endurance event. But for me, when I weigh the impact that a device like the Lumen can have, I ask myself two important questions. Number one, does it provide an accurate result of what it's supposed to measure, And number two, is that result going to inform me in a way that allows me to make an important change? Unfortunately, I think the answer to the first question is maybe, but I'm not completely sure. And for the second, honestly, I don't think so. No, I don't think having this information is really going to inform me in a way that allows me to change anything that is going to have any actual benefits that I can measure. At this point, I'm just not sure I see what added information the Lumen gives me, but if they do any research that shows it can be helpful, especially in terms of improved performance in endurance athletes, and if they go ahead and get that published, I'll be very open to reassessing my stance and put out an update when that happens. Do you have a question for me to consider answering on the podcast? Well, be sure to email it to me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. And in the meantime, Please, don't call me Shirley. Although it is a well-worn cliche, it is no less true for me and for many others that triathlon changed my life. I have told the story before of how finding multisport put me on the path away from a sedentary lifestyle and towards fitness and health, and I know that for many of my listeners, they have similar stories and experiences. But every once in a while, you come across someone in triathlon for whom the cliche means a lot more, and my guest today is one of those people. Mario Mejia is a first-generation Hispanic-American who, at a young age, experienced many tribulations, such as homelessness, alcoholism, jail, and losing a loved one to cancer. After a DUI, he decided a change was necessary, and when he found multisport, he was able to successfully rewrite the story that his life was taking and become an inspiring role model in his community, both through his exploits and by bravely and honestly sharing his life story. 2020 has, of course, been difficult for everyone, but Mario has remained undeterred and is in the final stages of preparation for Ironman Cozumel coming up at the end of November, where he will be racing to raise funds for Hearts of Empowerment. Welcome to the podcast, Mario. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. 
Well, Mary, I've given listeners uh, just a, a touch of what I've learned about you, but uh, I want to give you the platform to really tell us your story about um, what led up to your coming into triathlon and uh, how triathlon has empowered you and really changed your life. Let's see. So uh, to be completely transparent with you, uh, a year and a half ago, I would have never imagined myself um, you know, you know tipping, or stepping into the world of being a triathlete. Uh, I was your uh, typical 20-some-year-old guy who uh, is right after graduating from college working a corporate American job and just going out and about my social life, hanging out with friends, and uh, which means typically going out at night uh, and doing what every other twenty-some-year-old does, and and you know drinks a lot. Um, but after I had kind of gotten in a situation uh, a year and a half ago, uh, almost two years now, um, I got pulled over one night um, after going out downtown and uh, was uh, got a DUI uh, as a result of uh, drinking and driving. And um, after I had gone through court and all, uh, I was uh, sentenced to a full year in jail. But luckily, all of my time was suspended but one week. Um, also, my license was suspended um, for a full year. So I lost all the driving privileges, except uh, I was allowed to drive from and to work. And, um, and I was in a really low place in my life. Um, I had just experienced a, a breakup at that time too. Um, kind of, uh, feeling very less about myself, uh, feeling depressed. And, um, also I was, uh, I had tried to this new thing, uh, tiny, tiny living where a lot of people will convert, um, you know, things like RVs and campers into tiny homes and, so I had also given that a shot um, and lived uh, next to someone's house on a property for about uh, $200 a month and was saving a lot of money. But I never expected while living in the middle of nowhere that I would also lose my license. So I was kind of um, out and away from a lot of my friends. And uh, at I have some experience in running. Um, I was team captain of the track team back in high school and uh, did cross country. And uh, being that I was no longer allowed to drink because I was put on probation, I was living out in the middle of nowhere and I was forced a lot uh, to spend a lot of time alone. Um, I decided to just pick up running. Um, so uh, I remember my first day I, I was 30 pounds heavier than what I am now. And, uh, after running my first mile, I, I threw up, uh, because I was completely out of shape, but I felt really good about myself and, um, taking that first step. So I had decided, you know, being that I was so upset about myself and what I had to kind of put myself through and the entire situation, I signed up for the Richmond marathon, uh, which was my first marathon ever. And, uh, started training for that for months. And, uh, as time, as I got closer to running the Richmond marathon, I felt in my heart that it was not enough to, to redeem myself as a person. Uh, so I, I was like, what else can I do? That's crazy. That would make me feel like I've conquered myself as a person. And, uh, I remember 
uh, back in high school, I used to, used to hear about these uh, Ironman triathletes and, you know, being uh, tip-top shape, uh, conquering these long, uh, crazy distances. And um, so I, I looked into it and I saw that there was a half Ironman. So that was, um, that piqued my interest. And uh, even though I had zero swimming experience and zero cycling experience, I went ahead and signed up for it because um, all the while I was without a license, I did buy a bike and that was how I was getting myself around was with a road bike. And I was, I thought to myself, you know, the only thing that would really make me a triathlete that's left um, out of the equation is to start swimming. So three months beforehand, before the Ironman, uh, when I had signed up, I started cycling to the gym every day um, and started hitting the pool and prepared myself for my first uh, triathlon race ever. And um, and I, you know, it, it was tough. I almost got disqualified on the swim portion because um, I, I came close to not meeting the time, but. Um, I managed to complete the race and I felt great about myself and that's how it's kind of transpired into me becoming uh, a four charity sponsored um, Ironman athlete I am I am today. That's such a great story, Mario, on so many levels. Uh, you know, I mean, just the, the narrative of redemption, of course, and, you know, self, self improvement and betterment. But I have to tell you, as an emergency physician who's confronted with, you know, DUIs and the results of, uh, drunk driving all the time, uh, the level of recidivism is so high. And to hear that, uh, you, really made this change so abruptly and so completely is so encouraging to me. And I applaud you for it because I know how hard it is to handle, uh, you know, the demons of addiction. And clearly, uh, you've done a wonderful job of uh, really turning things around and, uh, you know, making a huge difference. And I hope, uh, certainly from what I've seen, inspiring others to learn the same lessons. What's been kind of the hardest part for you? I mean, obviously, learning to swim and getting through the swim, but has there been any specific, you know, as you look back on your journey uh, coming up to uh, doing an Ironman, uh, has there been any specific low points or any any specific thing that you sort of think of as being particularly difficult in making the transition from basically a not an athlete to, you know, going into your first Ironman? I would say that uh, transitioning from from the person that I used to be to the triathlete that I am today, I was kind of forced into this corner where I was, I, I mean, first off, I couldn't break my sobriety uh, because that would also mean I was breaking probation. Um, so, uh, you know, staying away from alcohol was, uh, was not an option or else I could go back to jail. Um, and I would say maybe sticking to a plan was uh, new to me uh, because as, as you may know for yourself, training for an Ironman uh, triathlon is it, it takes months and months of a uh, planning ahead to prepare for something like this. So it, it was my first time um, doing that kind of sitting, sitting in, you know, June preparing for, uh, September and October, uh, you know, several months or a couple of months ahead of time. 
um, and knowing what time I was going to wake up, what workout I was going to do that day, um, knowing what kind of meal I was going to have that day. It, this was all brand new to me. Um, swimming was definitely a challenge. Like I had mentioned, I had zero swim experience and um, what had actually led me to almost get disqualified from my first uh, triathlon, the half Ironman that I did out in Indian Wells, California, was that I was not prepared uh, for how cold the water was. I was training this entire time um, in a pool that was uh, close to like 85, 90 degrees. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, the water can't be that cold out in California. It's in the middle of a desert. I'm sure it gets lots of sun, um, but I was definitely wrong. Uh, I had failed to consider that the water was going to be 55 degrees, which is greatly different. Which is not 85. I, I've done <laughs> I've done that race, and I know exactly how cold that water was. It was not pleasant. I do not like that kind of. But you'll be set in Cozumel, where it's nice and warm, and you'll have a current assist, so that'll be nice. Absolutely, uh, yeah, and and so. Um, now that I'm, I better under or I'm a much better at uh, you know approaching the swim portion. I, I do feel a lot more prepared for it, knowing to get in the water days ahead of time to um, acclimate to the water and the uh, weather out there. So um, that that was definitely brand new to me, and also cycling and understanding how to, you know, uh, get into an aerodynamic position and how to lift my seat up higher. That way I, I, um, you know, I don't burn as much energy while I'm cycling and, and such. Yeah. The education of the triathlete, you're uh, summing it all up there, I think. And you've just had to do it in an express fashion. Um, I, I'm always fascinated when I hear of people with a story similar to yours. I think of Lionel Sanders as an excellent example of somebody who dealt with a lot of problems with addiction, who uh, really kicked it very suddenly, similar to what you've done. And uh, almost in my mind, kind of like embrace the training uh, for triathlon almost as a substitute. And I'm just curious, as somebody who's dealt with this, do you kind of see training for triathlon as, as a means of, you know, satisfying that addictive part of your personality? Or is it really more of a therapy? I would say it's both, uh, to be completely honest. I, I remember, and and to have signed up for an Ironman, it was kind of like this rage that I had within me, um, just, you know, feeling disappointed in myself and feeling like I had to do something kind of crazy to redeem myself as a person. And I remember uh, being 16 years old and my father giving me the call, letting me know that he had stage four cancer and that doctors had only given him about two to three months to live. And um, at that time, I was uh, running track, and, and I was a sprinter. Um, I'm a much better sprinter than I am with long distance. And uh, something in me which had just told me, you need to go run. And so I ran, and um, I, I ran 11 miles by myself that day. And it, it was a very therapeutic ex experience. Um, now, as I had gotten older, um, I did experience a lot of problems with alcohol uh, after losing my father. I was in a fraternity um, in, in college and, you know, a big thing is, you know, it's pretty normal to 
be getting drunk and drinking a few days throughout the week. Um, so to me, it, it never occurred that I was experiencing alcoholism. And, uh, and so after I had been put on probation, um, you know, alcohol was definitely a way for me to blow off my steam whenever I was uh, feeling a, a type of way. And, and being that I was on probation, I wasn't allowed to drink, I wasn't allowed to do anything. And I was living out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it's not like I was going to beg my friends to come and hang out with me. Um, so I, I did spend a lot of time alone. And I, I was really frustrated. And then the only thing I knew to do to kind of re- get that stress off of me was to literally burn it out. And to me, that meant going out on runs. And, and as I got into better and better shape, the, the runs got longer and longer. And I found myself feeling a lot better. Um, but yeah, so it was definitely therapeutic. And I mean, I, I would say that now that I've been almost 16 months sober, it's it's just the way of my life. I don't see myself not being a triathlete. It's such a great story, Mario, and I just love hearing it. Uh, you know, you're describing, I, I think, a lot of what a, a lot of what a lot of triathletes sort of go through that whole evolution to where it becomes just part of who they are. But for you, obviously, it means so much more. And I just love hearing where, you know, you were obviously faced with so many opportunities for things to go off the rails, living far away, living by yourself, uh, having you know opportunities for th- to make the wrong decisions, and instead, triathlon or you with the ability to make so many right decisions and it's really worked out well for you and I'm really I, I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that it's just tremendous um, I, I want to ask you something uh, because uh, of your your heritage as a Hispanic American uh, earlier this summer during all of the uh, social injustice protests that were going on. I did a series on the podcast where I had people from various backgrounds, uh, several black triathletes, uh, athletes uh, who were from immigrants, uh, families, uh, discussing the issue about triathlon being as white of a sport as it is. Uh, USAT, WTC have both uh, started initiatives to try and improve diversity within the sport. And I'm just curious as, as a first generation Hispanic American, what your thoughts are on the sort of the status of the sport right now and whether or not you think that they could be doing more to reach out to your community to try and engage more Hispanic Americans to become triathletes. Yeah. Um, I will say that, you know, it, for, for the concept to exist that try the world of triathlon is, uh, dominated by, you know, white people or, you know, Caucasians, however you want to put it at, in, I, I never really put it in, into that sort of aspect. I think of it as just in a way where, um, you know, that's, it's really just the kind of people that choose to take on this sport. Um, and I, I've never really associated, um, you know, ethnicity with, with taking on, um, triath, yeah, being a triathlete. Um, I, I know it's a really expensive sport, uh, to participate in. Um, you know, Ironman first off is about $700 to register. And then you're talking about spending a few thousand dollars in equipment and, you know, to have that sort of money, uh, 
you you know you do need uh, a good amount of income um, as well as time off to be able to do something like that and um, I think I read somewhere along the lines one day that the typical Ironman athlete um, makes around six figures and it, it kind of makes sense because you know it, it it does take a lot of time and money to participate in such a sport um, I mean not only buying equipment but you're talking about uh, traveling and buying tickets and bike transportation, it, it all adds up. Um, now to me, I, like I said, I've never really associated that with any kind of sort of, I would say, yeah, ethnicity. Um, it's really just who, who chooses to take on the sport. And, um, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and sit here and say that I don't see a lot of Hispanics taking on, um, Ironman, um, you know, I, I do see one here and there um, every so often, but um, I think that's also why I've been putting myself out there. Sometimes some of the hashtags I use is, you know, Hispanic uh, triathlete just to show, you know, the, the younger generation that it's possible to become whatever it is that you'd like to become. And it doesn't really matter what race you are. Um, if you want to become something, just go out and do it. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Hearts of Empowerment, uh, the charity that you're raising funds for when you race in Cosmo. Yeah, so Hearts of Empowerment, it was started out by um, some fellow classmates of mine that uh, I went to school with at BCU uh, out of Richmond, Virginia. Um, and the way I went about it was um, I just kind of heard this whisper in me uh, while I was sitting at work that had told me that I need to take on Ironman um, in more than just my name that um, I needed to do it for, uh, you know, the good of, of man. And so I went ahead and reached out to the first uh, nonprofit that came into mind, which was um, um, Hearts of Empowerment. Um, and Hearts of Empowerment, you could think of it as a charity for charities. It's uh, ran by uh, a, few, a couple of dozen people that are in their mid to later 20s and they're all really good at networking and uh, running social media and what they do is organizations that have a hard time raising awareness for themselves or raising money and are coming close to um, closing their doors um, they then go out and reach out to hearts of empowerment um, because they're really good at uh, doing these fundraising events and are able to transform that $1 into $100 um, to keep that organization alive. And what I love about working with them is that it's it's never the same uh, objective that we're working for. We're, we're working with different organizations that uh, you know do different things for the community, whether it's single mothers affected by COVID um, that need help uh, buying groceries for their house, or if it's um, people who are um, who have experienced domestic violence and need to change their home around to to feel like they've started a new chapter, or providing pizza to uh, lower income areas uh, to feed families that you know are being affected by COVID. It's it's always something new. So I I've had a great time working with um, this nonprofit um, as they do an array of services for the community. 
That's awesome. That's uh, that's really great. Uh, so tell me, as you're uh, heading into this race, what are your what are your goals for this race? And then beyond that, what are your goals in triathlon in general? Yeah. So uh, this will be my first time uh, taking on the full Ironman. Um, I've been training really hard and sticking to my regimen. Um, the most I've completed so far, um, as I, you know, as I'm about to take on this race is 111 miles done in a single day. And, um, and so I just, I I feel very confident that I'll be not only able to complete it, but also, um, you know, place, uh, higher. And so, um, it'd be awesome, uh, as an underdog to, a uh, place um, in a position that could qualify me for the world championship. Um, last time I looked, there were only 36 men um, in my age group, so my hopes are my hopes are there. Um, I, I think that being that uh, COVID has uh, struck, that not too many people are willing to go out and participate in sports right now. So it, it's given me just out of the gate. Um, a, a better chance at qualifying than at other times when there may be close to 2000 people in a single race. Um, and then beyond that, I, I found myself, uh, really loving, uh, charity work. So, uh, right now the idea that that keeps whispering into my mind is to become an athlete for people that are not able to live life to the fullest themselves. And to me, what that means is, um, people who are bedridden and are not physically able to run um, a 5K on their own or a half marathon or just want to do some kind of cycling event um, or if they even want to participate in uh, a sprint triathlon um, or even longer distance, who knows, that I'll kind of I'll push them or run along their side um, to help them live life to the fullest. Um, because to me, I, I have found um, a lot of meaning and life and passion uh, training and doing triathlons. And uh, I would like to kind of help others um, find that light in, in sports. Well, I can't think of a better way to finish the interview than on that note. Uh, Mario, I wish you nothing but the very best of luck in your upcoming race. And we will all be pulling for you. And uh, we will be hoping that uh, one of those coins and slots uh, does make it into your hands. And if not, I'm sure that there will be other opportunities for you because I suspect this is going to be a long-term relationship between you and triathlon. Mario, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast and for sharing what really is a a very inspiring and tremendous personal story. Of course, Jeff, and I greatly appreciate you reaching out to me and asking for me to share my story. It's uh, been a pleasure speaking with you today. And uh, yeah, thank you for everything. And that's it for another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. You can find archives of all of the previous shows, as well as references to everything discussed on this episode, at the podcast website, the-tridoc-podcast.captivate.fm. 
Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode? Or do you have a question that you'd like me to consider answering on a future episode? Well, send me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit try.coaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the TriDoc Podcast Facebook page, TriDoc Coaching on Instagram, and the TriDoc Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribing to the show wherever you download it. You can also consider becoming a supporter on my Patreon page, where you can get different levels of bonus content by visiting my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is Radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another interview with someone in the world of multisport and, of course, another medical question for me to answer. Until then, please stay safe, wear a mask, train hard, and train healthy.